Hello. If we were to ask what are the most prominent topics of discussion and debate at the moment, the topics of gender and transgender would be right near the top of the list. This whole area shot to the forefront of public discussion back in 2015, when Bruce Jenner, who was famous for being a gold medal winning Olympic athlete, uh, was interviewed by ABC News over in America. And in that interview, he revealed that though biologically male, and though he'd lived the first 60 plus years of his life as a man, he actually believed that he was a woman. He said in that interview, for all intents and purposes, I am a woman. And a few months later, Jenna had transitioned to live as a woman and appeared on the front of Vanity Fair magazine in a now really famous uh, cover image and cover article. And, and Jenna now lives life as Caitlyn Jenner. And that one story and some other things were catalysts for a huge and fast-paced change in our culture. Soon there were big debates over public toilets, over pronoun usage, over which prisons transgender prisoners should be sent to. In the UK, right at the moment, the big debate is about what the legal basis should be for changing your gender, basically for getting a new birth certificate that says the opposite gender on it. And the government currently have a consultation going on because they're working out do they want to change or reform the Gender Recognition Act. And for many of us, these kind of things, these topics, these debates are our insight into this subject. It's about policy and our public toilets and pronouns. But I want to start by helping us understand that actually this whole gender topic is not about pronouns alone. Behind the pronouns and behind the debates, behind the policies are people. Real people, many of whom actually are really struggling and really suffering. Let me just introduce you to two people for whom this is a real life issue. Both of them, as it happens, are called Leo. And as I tell their stories, I'm going to use the names and the pronouns that they would have used at different stages in their story to kind of uh, show respect to them. First of all, let me show you, uh, or let me introduce you to Leo W. At birth, Leo W was named Lily and was biologically female. At an early age, Lily preferred the clothes and the toys that are more traditionally associated with boys and actually began to express a sense of being a boy. So much so that at the age of five, Lily took a pair of scissors, chopped off some of her own hair in order to try and make herself look like a boy. And from around that time in her life, she started to live as a boy under the name Leo. At age 11, Leo made his name legally to be Leo. And at age 12, he started taking puberty blockers, which are medication which will stop the natural onset of puberty so that Leo's body wouldn't develop into an adult biologically female body. At um, age 16, he started taking testosterone, which would make some changes to his body to make it more masculine. And his intention at 18 is to have sex reassignment surgery to complete that transition that he's begun. And Leo was the um, star of a documentary made by the D BBC. And in that documentary, you get a little bit of an insight into the genuine experience Leo has had with this and the distress that it's caused him. He talks about hating his body because his body is saying one thing, but actually he feels something else. You see him in, um, in a doctor's clinic with a me medical professional, and you see him get genuinely distressed by having to talk about his body and this disconnect between his body and his mind. And in a newspaper article from a similar time to uh, the documentary, Leo was quoted as saying that if he had to live life as a girl, he says, I would probably kill myself. This is a topic about people, not about pronouns. Let me introduce you to another Leo. This is Leo E. Leo E was born Louise and was biologically female. And Louise had a really tough childhood. She had to 
several big operations when she was very young. When she was just uh, four, her mum was diagnosed with cancer, and she then died at the end when Louise was age 11. But she was um, a kid who did well at school. She was active in music and theatre, loved things like baking. But she also struggled with her gender identity. She began to feel that actually, though she had been living as a girl, that her body said she was a girl, actually she began to feel she should have been a boy. And as a teenager, she transitioned to live not as Louise, but to live as Leo. And in April last year, 2017, Leo had his first appointment at the NHS Gender Clinic up in London. But sadly, by the very next month, the battle had become just too much for Leo, and he ended his own life in his bedroom. And his family, on a kind of memorial webpage, have said this, Leo struggled with his social anxiety and relationships and was worried what others thought of him. He finally took his own life rather than spend the rest of his life feeling there was no place in the world for those like himself. The first thing we need to understand is this is about people, not about pronouns. And that's got to shape any response that we make. And the reality is that uh, the experience of transgender people is being used in a wider conversation in our society. There's an ideology, a way of thinking that people are trying to push forward using the experience of transgender people, which says there is no difference between men and women. We're trying to erase all sexual differentiation. And we do need to think about that as well. We need to think, what does God say about that? How do we, if we're a follower of Jesus, respond to that? But even as we think about that, we must never forget the people who are behind those debates and those discussions. What I want to do today is two things. I want to first just briefly help us with a bit of understanding. We need to really know what we're actually talking about if we're going to be able to respond rightly. And then we'll be able to talk about how do we actually respond. And we're going to give three principles, things which in any uh, conversation we're having, any question we're thinking about, should always be there as foundational underlying points. So first of all, let's just think about understanding. It's really important that we know what we're talking about. We understand what we mean by transgender. If we don't understand, then we're not going to be able to respond well. Often we actually respond out of ignorance. Even actually often we respond out of fear if we don't know what we're talking about. So let's just define a few key terms. First of all, let's define the term transgender. Transgender is a term describing people whose experience to gender identity does not match their biological sex. And within there, there are two things we need to define as well. The first one is biological sex. That's about the identification as male or female based on physical anatomy and genetics. It's basically what the body says. Does the body say that you are male or are you female? But then experienced gender identity is an individual's personal internal sense of being a man or a woman. Or as some people identify, neither or somewhere on a spectrum. That's more about what the mind is saying. What is the person, uh, how do they view themselves? How do they feel themselves to be? And for most people, what the body says and what the mind says align and go together. But for some people, there is a genuine experience where the body says one thing, but the mind is saying something else. There's a, a conflict, a tension, a, a disconnect between the two, and that can be really distressing for people. And it's the experience of distress because of that disconnect which then leads to the medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria, which is the medical term for the experience of transgender. That's transgender. It's also worth us pausing and defining another term, which is intersex. This is a different thing, but often gets unhelpfully mixed into the conversation, so it's helpful just to highlight it on its own. Intersex is a term describing people whose biological sex is ambiguous because their physical anatomy 
All their genetics do not match what's expected for either male or female. So intersex is purely about what the body is saying, and there being ambiguity there, which is different from transgender, where it's about the conflict or the, the conversation between what the body says and what the mind says. People who are intersex, some aspect of their physical body makes it not quite clear whether they should be identified as male or female, and yet most intersex people will identify as either male or as female. They don't tend to identify as transgender. It's a far less common experience than being transgender, and it is a different issue. And I highlight it because sometimes it's brought into the wider discussions about ideology of male and female sexual differentiation, but it is different. And because of time, we're not going to be able to tackle it in any detail today, but it's important that we know what we're talking about when we hear these terms. So that gives us a bit of a starting point of understanding. We, we know a little bit of what we're actually talking about and what's actually going on. So now the question is, how do we respond? If we're people who want to follow Jesus, how do we respond to the individuals like these Leos? How do we respond to different cultural trends going on around us? And there are so many things we could say there. There are lots of different elements of the discussions, lots of specific questions we could tackle. But I want to spend the time looking at three principles, things which whichever part of the discussion we're looking at, whichever question we might be asking, actually should always be there as the foundational layer, the principles from which we do everything else. Principles of compassion, conviction, and comfort. So first off, let's start with compassion. The very first principle, the very first thing we should always have in our mind when we're thinking about this topic is about responding with compassion. Transgender experience can be really difficult, really distressing, really painful for people. We've already seen that in the story of the two Leos we've heard. Sadly, their stories aren't unique. A study um, just last year, 2017, of school pupils in the UK found that 84% of transgender school pupils have self-harmed and 45% have attempted suicide. And other studies in the Western world with different demographics have shown similar stats. Now, the rates of self-harm and suicide are painfully, heartbreakingly high among people who identify as transgender. And research suggests that often, actually, that's not even primarily because of the experience of this disconnect between body and mind and that distress. Often, actually, the thing that really puts people in such a bad position is the negative response they get. It's the rejection they receive, the discrimination, the physical and verbal abuse. Let me give you a few examples of that from a study released this year from the UK. This is what James, who's aged 47 in the southeast, said. He said, I'm a trans man, and I've been stalked for over two years now from an unknown person. During this time, I've received anonymous threatening letters. I've had two letters containing razor blades, one which contained a toxic substance which burnt my hands, face, and eyes. I've been beaten up three times. Or Sylvia, aged 30, from Wales, said her experience at work was that I was bullied into self-harm, suicidal ideation, and resigned as I felt I had no other option. I'm now struggling to get a job because I'm transgender. These are some of the heartbreaking stories of what it's like to be transgender in our country, in our society today. And I think the first thing we as Christians need to think through is we need to make sure that we are not part of the problem. That we're not part of the problem that leads people experiencing this to self-harm and ultimately often to try to end their own lives. We need to examine our own hearts and our own attitudes when we think about this topic. We must be so careful and conscious of what we say 
about this topic, of what we post online, always thinking, what would someone like one of the Leos we've heard about think if they read what I'm posting or they heard what I'm saying? And being especially the case, and we're talking uh, careful, when we're talking about that wider cultural trend, if we speak out about that, always thinking, how would someone for whom this is a real-life painful issue in their life respond? We also need to recognize there's no place for joking about gender and transgender among Christians in churches. We respond first with compassion, recognizing some of the real pain that often is going on in these stories. And when we respond in compassion, we're just doing exactly what Jesus does. The example he set for us, the model he set out for us. If you read through the Gospels, you see time and time again, every time Jesus encounters someone who's hurting, who's suffering, who's in distress, he responds in compassion. Just one quick example in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 14. Things are getting pretty intense for Jesus. People know who he is. People want to hear him, be healed by him. And so he needs a bit of a break. He takes some time. He withdraws to be alone, to get some rest time. And as soon as he comes back, the crowds are there again. They're pushing in on him, crowding in on him. And here's what Matthew says. He says, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Even though he's trying to get some space, he's trying to get some downtime, he's trying to get some rest, Jesus cannot help but respond with compassion when he sees those in front of him who are suffering, who are struggling, who are in pain, who are in distress. Compassion, this sense of being deeply moved inside of himself and then loving people was always Jesus' response to people suffering. And so it should always be our response as well. And we as God's people are in a really unique position to be able to do that. We're the people who've received God's love, and so we get to share God's love with others. We get comforted by God, and so we get to comfort others. We're in a unique position. We should be some of the most compassionate people there are. We, as Christians, should be part of the solution which stops and lowers these heartbreaking rates of self-harm and suicide among transgender individuals. And so what does that actually look like? How do we show compassion in these kind of stories? Well, I think a first easy step is just to listen. When we meet someone for whom this is a real thing, is just to listen, because most of us can't directly relate to what they're going through. And listening gives them a chance to connect. It can often be a lonely experience for people walking through this. And actually, listening allows them a chance to share, to open up, to connect, to feel valued, to feel loved. And then we listen and we express love. We've already done that by listening, but we express love and care and compassion towards them. Where possible and where appropriate, we might offer some sort of help, some sort of support. And we have in those times an opportunity to show a world and show a culture that doesn't believe you can love someone if you don't actually agree with everything they're doing or how they're living their lives, that you really can. We get to show the heart of God, show, as Jesus did, God's love for all people. We have a chance to model that to people. So before anything else, whenever we think about this topic, whenever we meet anybody for whom this is a real-life issue, we always need to start with compassion. Think of the heart of God and expressing it to that individual, to that situation, into this topic. That's principle number one. Principle number two is a principle of conviction. We also need to respond with conviction. That means kind of being firmly rooted, standing firm in what is true. And we need to be convicted to be sure, to be certain of the goodness of what God says. The fact that it is always good news. And this is perhaps the point that is especially relevant when we're thinking of that wider cultural move. 
of this ideology, these ideas being put forward, trying to remove any sense of there being a difference between a man and a woman, we need to know what God says. And we need to stand firm on that, to hold on to that. The Bible teaches us that our identity, who we truly are and the core of our being, is given to us by God. It's dictated by God the Creator and given to us. And the fundamental misunderstanding of our culture and what's happening with uh, this topic of transgender is our culture believes that how we feel is who we are. And therefore, if you feel like you're a woman, regardless of what your body says, regardless of what the rest of your life has said, then you are a woman. How you feel is who you are. So our culture affirms that as identity, and then our culture sees that as the root to satisfaction and completeness and wholeness. But the Bible says that true satisfaction and wholeness and completeness and fulfillment comes from living in line with how he has created us. The creator is putting parameters in which we can flourish. A simple way of seeing that this is true is thinking about a fish. A fish is created to live in water, take it out of the water where it's not created to be, and it can't flourish, it can't live, because we flourish and we live in line with what the creator says and what the creator has planned. God is the creator. He knows the plan. He's put things together to work wonderfully. And our role as the creatures is to recognize the creator's plan, to trust that it's good, and then to walk into it, trusting that he knows best. And when we think about God's creation, we look in the Bible right at the start, we see that we as humans are the very pinnacle of God's creation. We're the the high point. We're the only bits who are made in the image of God. It means every human being has inherent worth, inherent dignity. It means every one of us is called to be a representative for God here on the earth. And as we read about that image of God in the Genesis 1, right at the start of the Bible, we see that the image of God is reflected in male and female. And the author says this in verse 27, So God created man, or humanity, in his own image. In the image of God he created him, Male and female, he created him. He's telling us the image of God is reflected in male and female, in two parts. In two parts, not in one, not in three parts, not in a hundred parts, in two parts, male and female. That means that what we call the gender binary, the idea that you're either male or you're female, is right there at the beginning of the Bible as a good part of God's creation, a good part of what it means to be human, what it means to be created in the image of God. And that identity we have as either male or as female is given to us by God as we're created, and then it's kind of hardwired, written into our physical bodies. It's there externally in our genitalia. It's there internally in our gonads, our reproductive um, organs. And it's there in every single cell of our bodies in our chromosomes. God speaks to us in our bodies, and we're meant to be, the Bible tells us, embodied beings. Our bodies are important. It's not that the body is kind of this this shell where you live for a time, this thing you use to get about and do life, and your real self is hidden somewhere inside. The Bible says, no, your body is a core part of who you are. It's part of your true self. And therefore, what God says in the body really is telling us what we are truly like, who we truly are, who our real identity is. And that means that the best thing for us is always to live in line with God, how God has made us as reflected in our bodies. We flourish by living out the Creator's plan, and He's spoken to us in our bodies. So the best thing for us is always, ultimately, to live out God's plan for us, revealed in our bodies as either male or as female. 
And that means that when our minds disagree, we seek to try and live by the body and try to bring our minds into line with what God said to us already in our bodies. We listen to the body rather than listening to the mind. And one of the really odd things when we think about transgender is that it's almost the only example where our culture, our society, listens to the mind over the body. We preference the mind rather than the body. In almost every other similar circumstance, we pretty much all agree we should listen to the body and help the mind come into line with it. A good example here is anorexia. Someone who's anorexic, the body is desperately saying that they need food, but the mind is desperately telling them that they don't and they shouldn't eat. And we all agree in that circumstance, the most loving thing, the way to help that person, is to help them bring their, body, their mind into line with their body and to live in line with what the body says. There are also other trans experiences where the vast majority of us was instantly go, we listen to the body, not the mind. There are people who identify as trans-abled. They're able-bodied, but they feel themselves to be disabled. And some actually go to the extent of amputating their own limbs in order to try and bring their body into line with their mind. The vast majority of us instantly know we should be helping those people to bring their mind into line with the body and to listen to the body. For some reason, transgender is the one example where our society has reverted that and topped it on its head. We say, you know, we listen to the mind regardless of what the body says. And so biblical teaching would show us that in the context of active, loving compassion, of recognizing the suffering and the struggle and the distress and responding with love and compassion, we also stand firm in conviction. We stand on what God has said to us in his word, in the Bible. We see what God's true plan for human flourishing actually is. And of course, that raises the question of, well, what does this actually look like when rubber hits the road? How do we actually put this into practice? What does it really mean? And let me say once again, this is, we're talking here about what Jesus says for people who want to follow him. Jesus tells us how to follow him. If you're not following him, he's not expecting you to live his way. You're completely off the hook. That's not what he's saying. But hopefully you're seeing the wisdom of what God says. You're seeing God's heart and God's goodness in it. What does this really mean when rubber hits the road? What's it mean for someone who's wrestling with their own gender identity? Perhaps someone who's thinking of transitioning to live as the opposite sex. I think listening to what the Bible says, it means seeking to live in line with biological sex, what the body says, rather than with what the mind says. That pretty means things like retaining one's original name, wearing clothing that's deemed culturally appropriate to uh, one's biological sex, and not seeking medical intervention to transition to the opposite sex. It would also definitely mean seeking the love and support of church community, church family, as you walk a very difficult path. And it's something that won't be easy, but with Jesus, will be possible. And what about someone who's already transitioned? They're already living as the opposite sex and then gone through various ways of doing that. Well, actually, the first thing I would say there is if you're involved in a local church is to talk to your church pastors, your church elders. God gives elders to be shepherds, to look after us, to help us. And for anyone in that circumstance, you will want your shepherds to walk alongside you and help you. So the most important thing I can say, actually, is to talk to them and work with them. But again, following Jesus, following God's best plan for our flourishing will mean living in line with biological sex rather than experienced gender identity, rather than what the mind says. For someone who's already transitioned, that won't be a quick thing. It won't be an instant thing. It'll be a really difficult thing. 
But it's always best for us to live in line with God's creative intention. It's how we ultimately are created to live, and it's a way that if we're a follower of Jesus, we express love and worship to him. So that would mean journeying towards living in line with biological sex. It would mean things maybe like reverting to one's original name, wearing clothing deemed appropriate to one's biological sex, slowly coming off hormone treatments and other medical interventions in conversation with medical professionals. For those who've had surgery, I think some people might choose to have surgery to try and bring their body back into line with how closer to how it originally was. But I don't feel that would be a necessary choice. Surgery is a one-time choice that has ongoing effects. The effects are a bit like a scar one carries. It's not a choice time after time to go out of step with how God has created us. So therefore, I think it's not a necessary thing for someone to have further surgery, but each individual will walk through that differently. They may choose to do that. And each individual story will be different. And I know the elders here at Everyday Church have really wrestled with this topic and thought, how can we best love and support and care for people for whom this is a real-life issue? And they've worked together on that. They've written some stuff to help them do that. And I know they'd be more than happy to talk to you further. If for you that's a real-life thing, and you think, man, I need to process this with someone and talk about it further. As we think about those real practicalities, it's also worth just highlighting the stories of detransitioners. These are stories that are often suppressed. Uh, the media don't like telling them. They uh, don't like people knowing about them. These are people who transitioned to live as the opposite sex, but actually found it didn't solve their problems. It didn't remove their difficulties. Often they found there were underlying issues that were still there. And then when they've transitioned back to, to live in line with biological sex, they found that even detransitioning leaves further complications, often in the physical because of treatments they've gone through. But there are an increasing number of stories appearing on YouTube and on the internet of people speaking out who transition and said it, it didn't solve the problem and transition back. And what these stories do is they just raise really serious questions for us that we as society should be thinking about as to whether this really is the, the sensible way of helping these people. Let me quickly tell you two stories of detransitioners. The first one's the story of Crash. Crash is a woman, she socially transitioned at 18, so that means started to present and to live as a man, started taking testosterone at age 20. But then she has said this, taking testosterone didn't get to the root of my suffering. It only relieved it temporarily. I came out of my transition with as many of the same problems I had before and then some. Being supported in my trans identity didn't help me. Letting go of it and accepting myself as a woman did. Since I've started to accept myself as a woman and work through my trauma, I've gotten a whole lot more satisfaction and I feel much happier and much more functional overall. Or one more story from a man called Walt Heyer. Walt Heyer cross-dressed for uh, many years. He then had sex reassignment surgery at the age of 42 and lived after that as Laura Jensen. But this is what he has since said. To a person undergoing gender transition, in the beginning, it feels like the right thing to do, even exciting for the first few months or years. I felt at peace for the first four or five years after I transitioned. And then I realized the high cost of that tenuous peace. It's a marvelous distraction for a while, but it isn't a permanent solution when the underlying issues remain unaddressed. If you read through some more of these stories, they are really heartbreaking. These are people made in the image of God, loved by God, who often actually were pushed into transitioning. They were told it was the only thing that would stop them from committing suicide, told it was the only solution, and actually have found that it didn't solve any of the problems, 
and in many cases has just created for them more pain, more difficulty, more distress. For some of them, even though they've detransitioned, it will leave lifelong impact on their life. And I'm not trying to use these stories to say this is really simplistic and people who experience that disconnect should just listen to the body and be done with it and it will be fine. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's not as simple as that. But these stories do suggest that transitioning may not be the wisest thing, may not be the most helpful thing. They support what the Bible says, that ultimately the best thing, although it might be really painful, really difficult, is going to be to live in line with biological sex, not with what the mind says and experience gender identity. So this point of conviction is really important, a really important principle we need as Jesus followers to know God's truth, to be convicted that this really is true, this really is best, to stand firm in it and to learn and carefully discern from God the right and wise times and ways in which to share that. That's conviction number two. Compassion, uh, principle number two. Compassion, conviction, principle number three is comfort. We are people who are uniquely positioned to bring comfort Because we know God's story. And God's story, as revealed in the Bible, explains to us why transgender experience and the pain and distress it causes actually even exists. And it explains to us where there is real hope for people who are suffering and struggling in this area. God's story starts with the plan, the blueprint, how things should be. Everything perfect, everything working together, body and mind in total agreement. Humans able to flourish in that way. But it also explains why that's often not our experience of life. You see, very quickly after that perfection starts, things go wrong. Humans rebel against God. They do what the Bible calls sin. They ultimately trust things down here rather than trusting God and trusting his way. And when humans sin, the creation is broken. Everything becomes damaged and marred. And that means that things don't go as they're kind of designed to. Don't go as they're meant to go as the plan A, the blueprint. Things get broken, and one of those things sometimes is that our thinking, how our minds, what our minds say, and our bodies don't match up. They don't line up with how God has created us to be. And actually, that's not anything that's unique to transgender. All of us would have times in our lives when how we feel or how we're thinking is not matching up with what we know to be solid reality. If you're a follower of Jesus, you probably know the feeling of knowing the solid truth that God loves you, and yet sometimes you don't feel it. Sometimes we have to reconcile or wrestle with this disconnect in what we're feeling and what is reality. That's because there's brokenness in the world. And that means that transgender experience and the distress, the pain it causes, like all desires which seek to kind of drag us away from God's best, from God's plan, from living his way, are a result of the brokenness which all of us experience that's coming to creation because of our corporate humanities rebelling against God. It's the result of sin, and yet still, every one of us is made in the image of God, loved by him, valued by him, inherent worth, inherent dignity in us because God has created us. But the wonderful point of God's story is that Jesus comes to deal with the problem of sin. He comes to deal with the very thing that caused the brokenness, the thing which caused all the problems, the thing which introduced all the pain and suffering and difficulty into the world. He wins the final victory over sin, defeating it and disarming it. And he therefore promises us that there's a day when everything will be put to rights. And he promises and facilitates the gift of the Holy Spirit, God himself coming to live inside of us to help us to walk until we get to that day. And the story ends, the the very last part of God's story is the fact that Jesus comes back. 
And when Jesus comes back, it's, it's like he cashes in a load of checks he's already written and signed, and the victory comes into its full realization. Everything that's broken will be put to right. Everything that causes pain and distress will be put to rights. Our bodies and our minds will be whole and will be healthy and they will always agree. And in that moment, on that day, transgender experience and the pain and the difficulty and the distress that it has caused so many people will cease. And all of God's people, all those who trusted in Jesus and followed him, will come into eternity in utter perfection with him. That's the hope that God's story brings to us, that God's story gives to every one of us. That's the hope it can bring to those whose body and mind are saying different things about their gender. But what about the now? You might be thinking, that's great. That sounds like a great day, but what happens now? How do I walk through this right now? Well, God's giving us at least two things to help us as we walk out this journey until we get to that point. Firstly, he's giving us himself. He's given us the Holy Spirit. God himself comes to live inside of us. Sometimes he changes us. Sometimes our, our thinking, our feeling might change. Sometimes that doesn't happen, but he's still with us to help us with the daily walking out of this. Help us through the pains, help us through the struggles and the difficulties. To there to keep encouraging us and to create in us this growing hope of that day that's coming. And as we read God's word, he takes the truths that God says and he works them deep into our heart to encourage us and spur us on and help us. God gives us himself to help us in this middle time. And then also, God gives us the church. He doesn't kind of put us on the path and say, well, off you go on your own, see how you get on. He puts us in family. He puts us together. He puts us to love and support one another with people who will weep with us when we need to weep. People who will care for us and we need to be cared for, who will help us and we need to be helped. People who will celebrate with us with over victories, whether they be big, whether they be small. People to walk with us. People who will keep pointing us backwards to the sure and certain demonstration of God's love for us on the cross and forwards to the sure and certain hope of the day that's coming when all of the pain, all of the distress, all the difficulty will be over. This is God's better story. God's better response, the better story in response to transgender experience. A story which makes sense, it can explain what's going on. A story which gives genuine hope. Things won't always be like this. And a story which, though it will never be easy to live in now, a story which is possible to live in now. Because God gives us things, himself, the church, to help us and support us. We're in a wonderfully unique position to bring comfort to those who are suffering, those who are struggling in this area. We can be the people who do that. So this is a, a topic we can't ignore. You don't have to move around much, do much, listen to much to hear that it's being discussed and debated all over the place, all around us in our world today. And so it's vital that as followers of Jesus, we are well informed. We have a good understanding of what's going on so we can respond out of understanding. And then it's vital we say, what does God's word say? What does the Bible say about how we should respond? And whatever questions, whatever topics, whatever elements of this we're thinking about, these three principles should always be there. Always starting with compassion, seeing the people, seeing the pain, and responding with God's love. 
Always standing firm in conviction, knowing what God says, knowing God's truth, knowing what God says is the best way, and standing firm on that, and learning from God, listening to God for wisdom of how do we hold on to that? How do we communicate that? How do we help people with that? And then bringing comfort, knowing God's story, living out God's story, communicating God's story, which explains and gives hope and brings comfort. Friends, we have an opportunity here. Let's be the kind of people, the kind of churches, the kind of Christians who make a difference, who are part of the answer that brings those heartbreaking rates of self-harm and suicide back down and brings comfort and hope to people who are suffering. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the goodness of your creation, that we are created in your image as male or female. That is a good thing, part of your plan. Thank you for how you speak to us about that in our bodies. But we also recognize, Lord, that for some people, this is a difficult topic. For some people, this is a painful thing. There is distress, there is pain and suffering caused by that disconnect between body and mind. And we say that we want to be people who seek to understand well and seek to respond well. Help us to respond with compassion, expressing your love. Help us to know what you say, to stand firm in conviction, to to use your truth to help people. And help us, God, to bring comfort through knowing and living out your story. And God, help us to not be part of the problem, but to be part of the solution, to make a difference, to love and care for people for whom this is an issue. Help us in that we ask, Lord God. Amen.